Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, that was a great testimony time and a great time of singing. And uh, as Steve said, I think we've already had our message on prayer. And um, I almost felt like saying amen and just being done, but I'm not going to do that. (laughs) He didn't think so. Amen. So we have been going through the book of Matthew. And uh, seeing about a Jewish man, writing about a Jewish Messiah to a Jewish audience. But I said last week we were going to be taking a little bit of a, uh, an interlude from that as we begin to prepare ourselves for our week of prayer and fasting coming up the final week of March. And so we're going to spend six weeks focusing on that. And the sixth week, actually, we'll jump back into Matthew because we're going to talk about Matthew's version of um, what was already discussed in testimony time from Mark. And that is, this kind only comes out by prayer and Fasting, And so, as we head into that week, it's our week of prayer and fasting. And so, I want to challenge you, as we go through these next six weeks, um, don't just be the choir. I remember many years ago, um, the Lord gave me a dream, and I still remember it. And, um, and I shared it at that time, and I was preaching. And, um, and at that church, that we had pews, and there was the choir loft behind me, and such. And as I was preaching, someone got up, and I... I still remember who it was. It was really kind of funny. God put a person. It was really there, you know. Isn't that sad? Anyways, and so this person got up, and they went up into the choir loft while I'm preaching, and I'm kind of like distracted. And then, then another person went up, and then another person went up, and all of a sudden there's more people in the choir loft than there were. And, and, I, and I stood on the, the – some of you have been in that facility where we're at, and so in front of the choir was the, the modesty wall, you know, and I, I climbed up on the modesty wall and I was trying to get the people's attention in the choir and they were just talking, you know, there's back and forth and I was just like, I'm trying to preach God's word and they weren't listening and God just kind of smacked me and said, turn around. And I turned around and there was a dozen people sitting in the pews and he said, preach to them. So I want to warn you that too many times, me included, the word of God becomes what? Old. Ha hum. I've what? I've heard this before. And we can turn, tune it out. But I want to encourage you that the, the, the topic of prayer, I mean, nothing in God's Word it ever should get old. But prayer should never, ever, ever be old. Especially when we get into this, this first area, and this is why I want to start with this, and this is the privilege of prayer. Because it is a privilege that is so mind-boggling to me that we take for granted. I mean, you take for granted that you're going to get up and you're going to eat today. You might not have had breakfast today, but that was probably your choice. Make sense? Either that or you're really on a starvation diet because you're trying to lose weight, but that's still your what? Choice. We're, we're not in a place where we're like, oh, I wish I had some food. I mean, it may not be, I may moan because I don't have the, the cinnamon raisin bagel that I want to have, and i got to have a blueberry bagel instead. No, that's not what happened to me today. But it could have been, right? Because I'm not so much into blueberry bagels, but I love the cinnamon raisin bagels, you know? Or I had to have, you know, Cheerios instead of Raisin Bran, or I had to have, you know, we're so addicted to choice and all that. We, we have so much, and we just take it for granted. But how much more do I have... In Christ, that I just take for granted. So I want to challenge you that in these next six weeks to prayerfully, we're talking about prayer, to prayerfully ask God 
to make you a larger prayer warrior. To cause prayer to become more and more a part of your life. Because as we're going to talk about it, it's not just this doctrinal topic that we're going to discuss. This is really, in the essence, your relationship with God, in a nutshell. And so, as we go into this, um, and we talk about prayer, the first thing I want to, to talk about, why this is so important, is that Jesus, when he was talking, and we've already covered this in Matthew chapter 5, um, so I'm not going to do a whole message on it again, but just as a reminder to us, that when Jesus was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, 6, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, 5 to 9, three times he makes an assumption with the disciples. And the assumption is, when you pray, what's the assumption? You are praying. Now, when we get to the sixth week, we'll talk about, he also comes after this, he says, when you what? Fast. <laughs> the assumption is what? You're going to fast, okay? But when you pray, but even if this is just an assumption, twice then within this, he gives them an injunction, a command. Or I'm sorry, right here and here. They're commands. They're in the, the imperative mood. It is a command. It's an injunction to pray. Pray. It's not a matter of a statement of fact there. It's a matter of an injunction. You are supposed to pray. And so Paul states to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, at the very end of his first epistle to the, the believers in Thessalonica, he says to them, pray what? Pray without ceasing. Pray always. Okay, Paul said it to the Philippians, right? As well, but praying always. Okay, and so there's so many times that we can, we can talk about this commandment that we're told about in the Word of God to pray. This is something that is integral to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we move on, so this is a, a secular definition of prayer, okay? Prayer is a reverent petition made to God, a God, small g, or another object of worship, an act of communion with a God, a God, small g, or another object of worship. I find that very interesting. This is exactly what the world considers to be prayer. Pretty, pretty close, right? What's communion? This, again, is the world's definition of communion. It is the act or instance of sharing as of thoughts or feelings. It's a religious or spiritual fellowship. So, take even just what the world says. What, this is just a secular definition. What do they see as prayer? It's communication with God in what? In worship. This is my definition. I thought it was really interesting. I came up with that definition. And when I went out to the, to the world, I thought this is really kind of interesting. They get it. The world gets it. Sad thing is they what? They don't get it. <laughs> They understand the definition, but they don't get the power of it. The only time you'll understand the power of it is if you have the relationship with God to understand the fullness of the communication that you have. It's a communion. I put communication, but I could easily put the word communion in there. It's a spiritual fellowship that we have at that moment with God. That's why Paul says to pray what? Without ceasing. Because how often should you have this spiritual fellowship with God? Always. It should be happening throughout the day. We want to compartmentalize, and there are times when we compartmentalize prayer, and we're going to talk about that, but we compartmentalize. We're, we become pharisaical in the things that we do. This is the time to be righteous, and this is the time I can act like the world. It's not that way at all. How often am I supposed to act like Jesus? All the time. 
And so as we look into prayer, as we consider the, the, the privilege of prayer, there are two aspects of this because it's communication, right? So in communication, I was a signal officer, okay? And so I, I, got, I get it as a signal officer. My job was to get the message through, okay? You guys know, so you've been signal. Our job was to get the message through. So that means that I have this message, okay? But regardless of the message, on one side, there's the what? The transmitter. That's the individual giving the message, right? But on the other side, there's a what? Receiver. And so in order for the message to get through, the one over here has got a what? Start speaking. Make sense? And the one over here has got a what? Got to listen. And normally when you're getting the message through, what happens after this person gets the message? They respond. Okay? That's called communication, right? It's called a dialogue. Okay? It kind of happens that way. Sometimes you know, how you, you talk to certain people and it becomes more of a monologue than a dialogue. We laugh about that. But do you have a dialogue with God? Or do you have a monologue? Is, are you on a one-way uh, receiver? You talk. God listens. You hang up the phone. Then you pick up the phone again. Oh, sorry, I forgot something. And you hang up the phone. That's not prayer. But that is what we've made of prayer. So I want to consider the two entities, if you would, that are involved in this spiritual fellowship, this spiritual communion, this spiritual conversation. Communication is going to go on. First, I want to talk about God. Let's consider who God is. Okay? Before we do this, a little bit of an advertisement. Okay? We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on considering who God is, but we spent an almost an entire year on considering who God was. Back in 2010, you can get that on podcast. It's also online. If you go to the Family Bible Church website and go to the messages, go to 2010, all the messages are there. Or if you use a podcast, you can actually podcast this on iTunes and um, in many different places. It's GPod or has it as well. And so you can search for it. I use AntennaPod. And I'm, I've been able to research it, but there's other messages, of, series of messages that are out there, and more that will be going up as well. But I recommend the Knowing God. There's people I know that I minister to in a distance, and they use this, and, and, and they're going through Knowing God as well. So I encourage you to do that, because we don't have a lot of time today to do it. But in essence, we're going to kind of summarize some of the points of this as we're looking at who God is. First of all, the existence of God. Who is God? He's God. I mean, it's kind of cyclical, isn't it? But in a sense, there has to be, in all philosophy, there is an uncaused... Can anybody finish it? Cause. Cause. Good. There's got to be an uncaused cause. Something that was way back in the beginning, whatever the beginning is, and I'm using that philosophically, okay? Whatever the beginning is, or wherever the beginning was, there has got to have been something that was there that began... Everything else. Right? And so the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that's the what? The beginning of the Bible. That in the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. God did what? He created. He created what? Time, space, and matter. He created heavens and the earth, but when he created heavens and the earth, he put it into what? He put it into space. When he put matter into space, it created time. Everything you comprehend, time, space, and matter. What was before Genesis 1? 1. God. 
There was no time, there was no space, there was no matter. There was God. Can you, connect, can you comprehend that? That blows me away. The evolutionists can't comprehend that. You know why? Because in the beginning, they wanted to be what? Say again? Something. Matter. Matter. That's why they, they, they worship materialism. Okay? Isn't it interesting that Jesus said you can't worship God and what? Mammon. That's the things that money buys. That's materialism. You can't worship God and matter. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work together. But think about it. If you have matter, then how did it matter what? Get there. I don't care if it was gases. I don't care if it was DNA and protein. I don't care what the matter was in the beginning. Where did the matter come from? But equally, they could turn to us and they could say what? Where did God come from? Whatever you decide was there in the very essence of the beginning, that's what you declare to be God. So in his very essence, in his very essence, God is who? Don't say God. That's cyclical. In his very essence, this is very critical, in his very essence, who is God? The creator. In the very essence, in the very beginning, the first time God introduces himself, he introduces himself to us as the creator. Do you have any wonder in your brain why Satan attacks him in his very nature of who he is? Why do you think all this stuff with evolution is going on? It's attacking the creator. Why do you think all this transgender stuff is going on? Because it's attacking the creator. Romans chapter 1. In fact, go there. Let's go there. I don't want to just talk about these and quote them. Let's, I, I, I try to commit myself that I was going to go to these passages and we were going to do the, the... I know for some of you this is going to be kind of an odd thing. You're not going to understand this one, but we're going to let our fingers do the walking, not through the yellow pages, but the, the God's pages. For some of you, it's not flipping your fingers through pages at all. It's flicking your fingers across a TV screen or a, a phone screen. But anyways, Romans chapter 1. Beginning at verse 18, we read, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who what? They suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. That means the truth is there. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God. So what is the truth? What may be known of God. Okay. So what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. We talked about this in Sunday school, and we talked about it other times, even yesterday morning with the men's breakfast, right? There's really no such thing as a what? An atheist. If they really didn't believe in God, they wouldn't talk about him. They're God-haters. They're God-deniers. Whatever you want to do it, they define themselves by the fact that there is a God. What may be known of God was manifest in them, for God has has. If you don't believe that's true, you make God a what? Think that one through. The God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, Genesis 1.1, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. How are they seen? Clearly seen. Being understood. Being what? Being understood. By the things that are made. What things were made? Everything. Everything. Oh, isn't this fun? By the things that are made, even his what? Eternal power in Godhead. I believe that's called the triunity of God as well. So that they are without what? Excuse. God states right off the bat, in his very existence, who he is. He's the creator of God. Now, this is important. We'll come back to this in a moment, okay? But he's the creator of God. And we can look at some of these other ones, you know, before the foundations of the world were laid, you know, uh, he was there, okay? Hebrews 11, 6. 
David, I think you were going to quote that one. Who diligently seek him. Without faith, it is impossible. Even just a little bit possible? It is impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And then the definition of that faith is, because those who come to him must believe that he, he is. He exists. And that he is a rewarder then of those who diligently what? Seek him. If you really believed that by faith, what would you do? You would really seek him. You'd seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what Jesus said. Don't worry about these other things. That's what the Gentiles worry about. But you guys don't worry about that stuff. Rather, you worry about God, man. Follow after God. Seek after God. Earnestly, diligently. Could you say that you earnestly, diligently seek after God? Are you as diligent in developing a relationship with God as you are learning about something else? God is. That's who he is. He's the creator. His exclusiveness. He's not only God, he's God what? He's God alone. There are no other gods. Jesus said in John chapter 14 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except except by me. Period. There are no other ways. Well, you know what? It's not even that there's no other ways to God. There are no other gods. And so we go to Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah. I love, and you've been long enough under my teaching, you know one of my most favorite portions of Scripture is Isaiah what? Beginning where? 40 to 48. Good. Exactly right. Okay? There is so much that Yahweh declares regarding himself in Isaiah 40 to 48 that is all over Jesus. I mean, it is Jesus all through it. And I don't believe that Jesus is God based upon the New Testament, although there are so many passages that clearly state that. But if he's not Jesus, or Jesus isn't God, if he isn't Yahweh incarnate, then I am not just a Christian. I'm not even a, I'm not even a, a Jew, man. I mean, I'll be a creationist because he's revealed himself. I mean, I just know. I mean, like Romans 1, he's got, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a creator. But if you can prove to me this is something that's is wrong, man, I, I am just like gone. I don't know what I would be. I, just, I would be totally lost in this world. But we begin in Isaiah 43, right? This is the Jehovah Witnesses passage. I love this. I love taking Jehovah Witnesses to their own verse. And, um, and so, but they don't know it. They don't even know their own verse. But look what it says. Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, saith Jehovah, saith Yahweh. Your says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? And so whenever we see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, we know that it's God's name. His name is Yahweh. Yahweh coming through the Yiddish into the German, into the English, becomes the word Jehovah. Okay, I won't get into all that. I can show you how it all plays out, okay? But anyway, so I, that doesn't offend me so much. I, I don't like it. I can use a term for to describe what it is. I'd rather say Yahweh because that's his name. Um, but I know when I go to Peru or someplace, they're going to call me Roberto. They're not going to call me Robert. They're not going to call me Bob. Make sense? And if they say Bob, they're going to sound, it's going to be boob. And, you know, boob, boob doesn't sound quite the same as Bob. Anyway, so, um, but in Isaiah 43, 10, you are my witness, saith Jehovah or Yahweh, in my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was what? No God formed, nor shall there be any after me. So how can Jesus be a God? Not God. Understand Jehovah's Witnesses, they want to tell you that when they go to John 1, 1, where in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and God was the Word. Now, I know it says in our English, in Word was 
God. It doesn't say that in the Greek. Actually, it says God was the Word, right? And they're going to say, well, there is no definitive, um, there's no the in front of God. And so what it really says is in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Hmm. Well, that's not what it says in the Greek. Okay, in the Greek it says, and God was the word, is what it really says. It's the def- definition of who God is. Okay, But go with the English for a moment, and I don't know why the en- English translators did what they did. It just befuddles my brain. But even still, use the analogy that Jehovah wasn't going to tell you. I go to their own verse. Before me there was what? No God formed, neither shall there be what? Any after me. How can Jesus be a God? How can he even become a God? Ask the Mormons that. God says what? Ask the Mormons who the eternal God is. They're going to tell you it's Yahweh. So take them. They hate it. I'm telling you, they get mad. Okay? And I don't do it just to see them get mad. I want them to see what? Truth. The truth should all set them free. As long as they what? Listen. Well, not just listen. They listen. And then they get mad. As long as they receive the truth. Believe in the truth. Make sense? That makes them a disciple. Okay? And so the truth is right here. We continue on. Verse 11. I, even I am Yahweh. Beside me there is what? No Savior. You did get it. So you can go to these other ones in 44, 6 to 8, 45, 5, 6, 45, 18, 22, 46, 9. And it tells us that God continually tells me that he is God who? Alone. Besides him, there is no other God. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, go, let's go there. Come on, let's do, our, let, let's, let's do this kind of sword drill stuff. This is kind of fun. Since we're not in one passage where we're staying in the passage, this gives us the opportunity to, to, to learn the books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? And just sing the song. We work with this with the Good News Club. Okay? And you say, well, now you went into the New Testament. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, and the letter to the Romans. Okay? And so you, just, you get to learn to sing the song better, faster, 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 so you can find where the books of the Bible are. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, right? And so we're looking at verse 19. Paul says... What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the, the things which a Gentile sacrifice, they sacrifice to who? Demons, and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. So, all these other professed gods, the little g that was in the, the secular <laughs> the secular definition, remember? That, that, that those petitions to God or God or you know, other being, whatever. Reality, they could, they could shorten that a whole lot. It's a petition that's rendered unto God or what? Demons. Pretty simple. The Bible is, is pretty clear. It's black and white, isn't it? It's, it's, it? You can't straddle the fence. Make sense? It's not other gods. It's not, well, you know, you got Buddhists and you got all these different gods and you got this and that. No, you got God and then you got created beings that went astray and pretend to be gods. Do you get it? And so you're either worshiping the true God or you're worshiping the what? The fake gods. The demons. Paul says behind them all is a demon. That's something to think about. Behind Allah, okay, is what? A demon. And yet, the, the, the Pope, on Monday, makes a covenant with the, the, Sunni, the, the, um, the Sunni imam, the highest imam for the Sunni religion, stating that they all worship the same God. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's coming, folks. You know, you just, again, just watch the world from the religious perspective, from the perspective of the Bible. It's amazing, the stuff that's going on out there. Okay? 
I mean, this one world religion is, 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 is being worked on. I don't know what's happening with the Baha'i faith recently, but for years I followed the Baha'i faith. And some of them may come like, who, what? They're, they're, they've been one that have embraced um, Christianity and Judaism and, and Islam being all, all one. Okay? And you can kind of see how that may play out in the days ahead in the one world religion stuff. Anyways, a lot of fun. What was a distraction? But anyways, God is God, and he's God alone. His extensiveness. He is what? He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he is omnipotent. Those are big words, but basically it means he's all-knowing, all-present, everywhere present at the same time, and he is all-powerful. Psalm 139. Let's go there. Psalm 139. Because we see both his omniscience and his omnipresence all together here in Psalm 139. Oh, Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. That's a, called a mirrorism. That's a, that's a, lingu, uh, a literary device that where you use two, two opposite extremes to represent everything that's what? In between. So you know my sitting down and my rising up. What is David saying? You, you know all my activity of the day. You understand my thought from afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You, you know exactly every place I'm, I've been. You are acquainted with all of my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Yahweh, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. That's David saying what? God, you're blowing me away. Can't, you're causing my brain to spin. You know what I'm thinking before I ever think it. Before I even thought the fact that my brain is spinning because you're thinking it. You already know I'm going to think it. That causes my brain to what? Spin even more. I mean, it's kind of like having a top and you're just kind of flicking the side of it, you know. And God's just going, watch this. Watch this one. And he's like, whoa, God, you are just so what? Awesome. How great Thou art. I just, such knowledge, such understanding is too wonderful for me. I get so frustrated at people who want to put God in a box and describe who he is and, and all this kind of stuff. All I want to do is I want to show the immensity of God, the extensiveness of God. He is so far beyond whatever I can comprehend. I know he's the creator, but how he created, I mean, I'm just reading this morning a little bit about gut health stuff, you know, about all these microbes and everything else that are in your body, the trillions of them. It's like, Trillions of them. You think about it, and we're evolved beings. This is nutso stuff. And God, when he created us, created us how? Fearfully and wonderfully. We'll get to there, right? How amazing is this? He goes on, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, or Sheol... That's a place of death. Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you. But the night shines as a day. The darkness and the light are both alike. 
For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. In your book they are all written, the days fashioned for me, as when yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. I can't comprehend this, God. You know my thoughts. You know what I'm going to say. You know everything. You are everywhere. I don't, it doesn't matter where I flee. Just ask Jonah. Yeah. Jonah thought what? I'm being sent to Nineveh, so I'll go where? I'll go the opposite way. Like God didn't know where he was going. Yeah, we, we kind of chuckle. But how many times are you like Jonah? How many times am I like Jonah? Like, like if I go into my bedroom, he's not going to be there. If I go into my bathroom, he's not going to be there. If I go outside, he's not going to be there. If I go in my car, he's not going to be there. Or when I'm riding down the road and I just want to go a little faster, he's not going to be there. Or he doesn't what? He doesn't know and he doesn't what? Care. Oh, that's just a little one. Wow. Do we act that? I mean, think about that. What are we defining about God at that moment? He doesn't know. We're going to be judged by the very words that proceed from our mouth. Matthew 19 talks about him knowing the number of hairs that are on my, my head. Now, for some of you, that ain't very impressive. But for others, it's really impressive, right? There's not a sparrow that falls. That he what? He doesn't know about it. Therefore, is there anything that's what? Too hard for God to do. With God, nothing is what? Impossible. He's able to accomplish exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Why? Because he is all powerful. And you can go to these other passages and you can see them. I mean, this is just a smattering. I mean, I just put a smattering. I could have what? Hundreds of verses and thousands of verses talking about the omniscience and the, op- the omnipresence and the omnipotence of God. The Bible is replete talking about El Shaddai. Do you know who El Shaddai is? Come on, Hebrew guy. What's El Shaddai? El Shaddai. Yeah, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot too much. El is God, Shaddai. Almighty. He's God Almighty. I mean, that was his very name that he, he re- 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 revealed himself out. He's El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. I mean, the first name he told Moses, and we didn't even talk about it in Exodus 3, who should I say is sending me? He said, he's who? I am that I am. I am. I'm the one who exists. And I'm God Almighty. How fun is that? But secondly, where I want to then focus on, when we think about who this God is again, you can go to those series and look at this. But who we are, who we are. And the first thing is this redemptive relationship, if you would, that I have. The redemption that I have from him. This is the, I mean, the only reason we're told in Hebrews chapter 10 that we come into the Holy of Holies. How? Anybody know? Through the blood of Jesus. It's not by my own righteousness. It's not by my own holiness. It's in spite of my my ungodliness. And the first thing I know about myself is that I am a created being. I am not God. And how many times I want to elevate myself and the world wants to elevate themselves 
above God. And they want to look at God as like He's the genie that's in the lamp. He's lucky to have me. He was stuck in the lamp. If it wasn't for me, He'd never get out. No, we say, that's stupid. But how many times do we act like that? God should be fortunate that I give him a chance to come and be involved in, my, involved in my life every once in a while. I mean, you know, I didn't have to. I didn't have to get on my knees and pray to him. It was really nice of me to do I was so magnanimous. We chuckle. I mean, I know, that's blaspheme. But we act that way. And I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about the world. The world acts like the world acts because they're like the world, right? A sinner is a sinner because he's a what? Sinner. Get it? But I'm not that anymore. I'm one who has been redeemed. I'm one who's saved by his grace. And the first thing I need to recognize is that I am nothing. I'm just a piece of clay in the potter's hand. I have no rights. I have none. Genesis 1, 26, 27, though, says that when he made man, he made man how? In his image, in his likeness. How cool is that? I came up with that plan. You came up with that plan, right? No. That wasn't our plan. Do you know why we can even be sitting here talking about God and talking about praying to God and having communication with God and having a communion and a fellowship with God? Because God enabled you to think that way. Shiloh's not here today. Now, Shiloh would love to come with me because she loves to smell people. And she wants to see what other dogs you've been hanging out with. And, and, and so she'd come only because she's social, you know? But Shiloh wouldn't come here, although if I say to her at nighttime, and you come to my house, and you'll find that's true, okay? I tell Shiloh what? It's time to? I tell her it's time to pray. So she gets down on the floor, okay? But I promise you, she's really not praying. (laughs) She just knows that nobody's going to be playing with her at that moment, okay? Because we're going to be praying. So I said, Shiloh, time to pray. She gets down, okay? But she's not praying. When's the last time you've seen the squirrels? I would love to have the squirrels go into a prayer meeting while I'm trying to... Sit silently in the woods, you know? But they're just chattering all the time. They're not made in the image and likeness of God. They don't have a spirit. God didn't take them and breathe into them the breath of life. Which is a perfect illustration of Jesus in John chapter 20, when he told his disciples, and he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. God breathed into us physical life. God breathed into us spiritual life. It's not because of what I've done. It's in spite of me. I'm just a piece of dirt. You've heard the illustration about the woman saying about the husband, you're just a piece of dirt. And I said, well, yeah, just remember, you were made from me, so that means that you're just even a a small piece of the piece of dirt. Okay? So be careful when you say that. But we are. We're just dirt, right? Think about it. What did God do? He took the dust of the earth. He formed it. Made it into a man and did what? Breathe into the breath of life. And then all of a sudden we were. All of a sudden we are. I have rights. I have no rights. The only rights that I have are those which have been given to me by who? By God. And when he made me in his image and his likeness, he gave me two... I I know it was Adam, but I was in Adam. He gave me two commands. What were the two commands that he gave us? Be fruitful, multiply. Well, that's part of the be fruitful, multiply. But then secondly is to what? Subdue it. To have dominion. 
dominion over the earth. I'm called to be a what? A steward. A steward of that which belongs to God. It's not mine. The owner, the owner created me and gave me a purpose. My purpose is to serve him. Not to act like I'm the owner. I'm not the owner. I'm a mere steward of it. That includes myself. I'm a steward of this as well. Does it make sense? He told me to be fruitful and multiply. I'm a steward of this. Do you get it? What are we doing with these things that God has given to us? This is part of my relationship. When I come to him, I mean, do I pray for wisdom in my stewardship of my family? Do I pray for wisdom in the stewardship of, of what, he, what he's put me in charge of? The earth? I'm just a created being. Uh, Chuck earlier read Psalm, Psalm 8, but you can read the same in some of these other psalms. What is man that thou art mindful of him? In fact, when we were first created, he made us a little bit lower than the what? The angels. And yet, if you read Hebrews chapter 1, the angels are who? I talked about this yesterday morning in men's breakfast. They're ministering spirits. You weren't even there, David. Good job. No, you were there. No, you weren't there. You weren't, he wasn't there. Yesterday, you guys, you're ashamed. Come on. They're ministering spirits. Ministering spirits to who? To us. And so yet, when God created us in his image and likeness, he made us a little bit lower than the angels, and yet he caused the angels who were made before me to become ministering spirits to me. How cool is that? And we're told in, he, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm talking about authority, that, that the head of Christ is, is God, and the head of man is Christ, and the head of woman is man, that in that whole thing it talks about that a woman should have a head covering, or should have their head covered, for a particular reason. You remember what the reason is? Because of the angels. You're exactly right, because of the angels. Because the angels are looking in, and they can't get it. They're like, wow, this is so phenomenal. I mean, God created them like he created us, and yet God's got this other thing going on with them that he doesn't have going on with us. Peter says, when he's talking about the redemption of man, which we'll get to in a moment, he says, the angels are looking in on this stuff. And they can't, they're, they're, they're filled with amazement at it. And yet, I'm just a What? A created being. I, 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 when, when I die, when, when I, I, you can't kill me. So when I separate from this tent that I'm living in, when I separate from this tent that I'm living in, and my tent is laid into the ground, and it what? It decays. It rots. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Your body's going to stink and rot one day, just like that potato's been in the bag too long. Oh, yeah, that's pretty gross, isn't it? Ugh. Good word picture, isn't it? Okay. What eventually is going to happen to that stinking rotten potato? Well, I put it in the ground and grow more potatoes. Don't destroy my illustration. But so will you. Okay. Good. Okay. But eventually, if you lay, leave it lay out, it's going to what? It's going to decay and it's going to turn back into dust. What's going to happen to your body? It's going to decay and rot. It's going to turn back into dust. It's because of who you are. Do you remember any of you guys that are medical or scientific? What's the percentage of water that we really are? 60? Uh, it's, it's a high percentage. Say again? 
78, 82%. So we're even higher. Can I have a 90? Give me some 95, 90%. Anyways. Um, anyways, the point is what? You're mostly water. <laughs> and water is made out of air. Hydrogen and oxygen put together. <laughs> Most of us are what? Made of a lot of hot air. <laughs> exactly. But when it all comes down to it, that's who I am. Apart from God. God made me to understand him and know him. How cool is this? This isn't, I came up with this thing. Like God is so special because I go to talk to him. No. It's a privilege that he gave to me. Did you get it? He didn't have to make me in his image and likeness. We're created beings. Secondly, we are, sadly, sinful beings. Our father and we and our father in Genesis chapter 3, read that they chose to disobey God. God gave them one command. One. One. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any other tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat from it. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know it, right? What could they have eaten from? The tree of life. Well, they could have eaten from anything else, but tree of life. The tree of life was there. That's why they're kicked out of the garden, because it's an act of God's grace, not an act of punishment. Because if they would have eaten from the tree of life after they'd eaten from the tree of the death, they would have lived in death all their life. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Because the wages of sin is what? Death. But what is ultimately death? Death is separation. It's separation from God. It's separation from others. It's separation from, from your body itself. When I die, quote-unquote die, because again, you can't kill me, what really is considered death in this earth? It's when I am separated from my my tent. That's death. It's separation. But death also happened in Genesis chapter 3 immediately between the husband and the wife because they made for themselves clothes. They hid themselves from themselves. And then we saw it portrayed because then Adam turns to Eve and says, or to God, but talking about Eve, right? I'm picking on you guys because you're Adam and Eve, right? It was that woman, you what? You gave me. And then Eve turns around and passed the blame upon the serpent, right? But you see all of a sudden this, this social dynamics that it's all perverted and separated. But then ultimately the separation is from who? From God because they make themselves close and they do what? They hide. They never hid before. It was God's, God's practice to come into the garden and to walk with them and talk with them. How cool is that? If you wonder what God's original purpose for you, that should tell, communicate a little bit to you, right? What did God do with them every day? He came and fellowshiped with them. He hung out with them. He talked with them. What do you think God wants to do with you if you've been brought back into right relationship? He wants to hang out with you. Romans 5.12. Let's turn to Romans 5. Again, you might be able to quote it, but it's good to go back and see it and read it. I'm going to start at verse 8 for the context, and it's a good context. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and death death spread to all men, because all sinned. How many sinned? All. And so when I was a sinner while I was living in my sin, what else was I in that passage? Tell me. I was a what with God? Of God. I was an enemy. Again, talk about the atheists. It's not a matter that there's no God. They're what? They're enemies. Why? Think this through. Why do you think they're enemies of God? Process this for a moment. Just do, do a logic puzzle here. Why do you think they're enemies of God? Remember, you can only worship God... Or worship what? Stuff. Which behind the stuff is what? Demons. Demons. Okay. So you're either a friend of God or what? Why are you an enemy? Because you're worshiping the enemy. Do you get it? I mean, people don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. But you're either in God's camp or you're in Satan's camp. You may not be following Anton LaVey. I know he's dead now, but... The, the whole Satan, Church of Satan. You may not be part of the Church of Satan, but the reality is if you're not a part of Christ, you might as well be. That's exactly right. How sad. Romans 6.23, the wages of what? But the gift of God is eternal life. And that's where we want to go. When we read 1 John 1, 8, 10, 8 to 10, we read that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. His word is not in us. So in, in that little special thing is that second part of Romans 6.23 as well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That I am a sinner. That's who I am. I'm a created being, but I have turned away from the God who created me. And I have walked in sin. That's who I am. I was the enemy of God. I was at enmity with Him. I spat on Him. I hated Him. I was an abomination to Him. And yet God, what? Loved me. And God loved me so much, He sent Jesus to die for me, so that by His blood, I could be entered into His presence. We are privileged, privileged beings. You say, well, why don't you put redemption? I already have that, our redemption by God. And in that redemption, we are privileged. Privileged. Do you get, I mean, we don't understand the privilege that we have because of the blood of Jesus. Again, we take it for granted. We're the, we're the folks in the choir loft. It becomes same old, same old for us. We've been saved for so long. Some of you kids grew up in a, in a, in a Christian church. You might have got saved in a, in a young age. This is all hum-hum for you. I lived on the other side of the tracks. It's not hum-hum. I know what it's like to follow after the wrong stuff. I know what it's like to be plagued still with my, the, the thoughts in my brain that I wish weren't there. I pray for my kids. I pray for your kids growing up in Christian homes. It only took two generations, two generations for Israel to turn away from God. 
As long as the elders who were there during the days of Joshua were alive, the people followed God. But the minute they died, the minute Joshua died and the elders who were alive during Joshua's day, there arose up a generation that knew not God. You know it. And they began to do what was ever right, good, in their own eyes. You guys know it. United States, back in the 1920s, I understand that theoretically in the Scopes trial, the creation camp won, but they ultimately what? They ultimately lost. We as a nation made a decision that we were no longer going to be worshiping the Creator God, but we were going to start teaching evolution in our schools alongside creation. But in a sense, at that moment, what did you just decided? You really don't believe in Creator anymore. 1920s, one generation biblically is 40 years. So from 1920s, you get into the 1960s. And what happened in the 1960s? You take Bible reading out of school. You take prayer out of school. And all of a sudden, you start having Woodstock and all this other kind of stuff going on, right? Does it make... Is it any wonder? What did you just do for the last 40 years? You taught the generation that there was no what? Creator God. You get rid of the Creator God, you're ultimately going to get rid of what? Morality. Because He is the one who established morality. 40 years after that getting rid of the Bible and, and, and prayer out of schools and having free love reign, where are we at right now? We're a mess. we got people killing people. we got abortion. And, and, and all the way to a moment before a baby is born that it's legal in so many of these states to kill it. Kill it. And the legislature gives standing ovations that they pass it. It's an attack on Who? All the way back to the beginning, the Creator God. Do you get it? Because of who He is in His essence. And if they're going to persecute Him, Jesus tells us, be, be ready, because they're going to persecute who? You. But that's assuming something. That you're reflecting the one that they don't like. So if you're camouflaged, guess what? No persecution comes. But I'm told to look like Jesus, not like the world. I'm told to conform to him, to him his image, not to be conformed to the image of the world, Romans chapter 2, or Romans chapter 12. To be transformed in a renewing of my mind, that I look more and more and act more and more like Jesus. And as that happens, guess what's going to happen? People aren't going to like you. I knew an individual once, some of you know this individual I'm going to talk about, who was a full-board colonel who had punched all the tickets, should have become a, a general. Should have been, easily. But he had one thing that was against him. They wouldn't state this. The one thing against him was what? He loved Jesus. And he was outspoken about Christ. I told this guy, I said, you'll never make general. Because they don't want that there. Because that becomes a purely, utterly political position. And they do not want that. He got passed over. He was in the positions that everybody else becomes a one star. He was West Point. I mean, I could go on, but I, he punched all of his tickets. Whatever ticket you want, he had it, baby. He was the guy. Impeccable record. But he had that one thing against him. It was Jesus Christ. That's persecution. Now, it wouldn't be stated that way. God blesses him otherwise. But do you get what I'm saying? When you start to make a stand for Jesus... People aren't going to ultimately like you because they don't like Jesus. 1 Peter, turn there with me. 1 Peter 1. 
talking about our privilege. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. How cool is that? you got a reservation waiting for you. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or by what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which the angels desire to look into. Do you get this? 4,000 years. For 4,000 years. Yes, I'm a literalist when it comes to the Bible. There were prophets who proclaimed the coming of Christ. And yet didn't see him. Yearned for it. But they didn't see it. Isaiah. Isaiah 53. Marvelous chapter. Isaiah didn't live to see him. In fact, if, if the uh, traditional records are, are correct, Isaiah was stuffed into a log and cut in half. It was like a magic trick, but it didn't work. He died to proclaim the word. Jeremiah, stuffed into pits and dropped back out, dragged to Egypt and wound up being killed there. Why? Because he proclaimed, proclaimed God's word. And he yearned, yearned to see the fulfillment, but he never saw it. You and I, hindsight being what? We know it. There are so many times I just yearn to have lived in the days of Jesus. And yet, even the people who lived in the days of Jesus, what? They didn't get it. Most of them didn't get it. So Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen, and yet what? They believe. Do you understand the privilege that we have? What a privilege. To be called by God. And I'm going on. I mean, because this is, our relationship with Him. It's not just our redemption, but our relationship. We are the sons of God. First John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the what? The sons of God, and such we are. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Romans 8 says that we have the Spirit by which cries out what? Abba, Father. 
I mean, I know when I take my kids out. So when my boys turn eight, they begin a process of, this, of, of knighthood, okay? And so in that process, when they're eight, I take them out hunting with me for the next four years. They don't get a gun. Um, they don't get to hold a gun. Some of them have taken hockey sticks and pretend it was a gun. But anyways, they don't get to take a gun, right? They have to hang out with me for four years, okay, while they're waiting until they turn 12 and they get a gun. And then from 12 to 16, for the most part, they've still got to sit with me while they have a gun and they can shoot, okay? And, um, but we progressively do more and more and more as we go on with that. But I know that when I start taking them out, and Anna now has gone out too. She's kind of broken the mold a little bit with the girl. And anyways, but she's gone out. But I know when I take them out, when they turn eight, and I start taking them out, I'm not going to what? I'm, I'm say again? Uh, catch. I never catch a deer anyway. I never shoot it. <laughs> I'd like to catch one once, but boy, it would be awful. Anyways. I'm not going to see, I'm not going to shoot a deer. I'm not going to, I'm not, probably not even going to see a deer for a period of time. Why? Because <laughs> they like to talk. To who? To me. And I keep saying, shut up, be quiet. No. <laughs> I don't say it that way. But I, I do say, shh, shh, you know. I remember the first time with the twins, I'm not going to say who said what. Anyways, I'm with the twins, we're sitting on a ridge. It's getting light. This is exciting. From my left, I hear, ch, 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 loud, ch, ch, ch. But down in front of me, down at the waterfront, I see a herd of deer. It's never happened to me since then. I see a herd of deer down there, and I hear what? Another herd coming in from my left. Wow, this is amazing. I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, right? Put my hand on their, on their, on their, on their legs, right? And all of a sudden, one of them says, Dad, a deer! <laughs> Yeah, who said it? Not anymore. It's exactly what I said. Not anymore. <laughs> Bam! They're gone. <laughs> but it's okay. I didn't stop. When I drove truck, when I drove truck, I didn't have the CDL, so I drove a small truck. My truck didn't have air conditioning. But I've already told you about my vanity. So what did I do with my, my window? No, I didn't. If I rolled my window down, what would happen? Come on. It'd mess up my hair. That's exactly right. Okay? So, so, I, so I kept my window up. In, in the summertime, that truck became a what? A sauna. Okay? But my boys still wanted to go with me because they wanted to spend time with Abba, with Daddy. Do you get it? It was always a challenge for me. Do I want to spend that kind of time with my Abba? Am I willing to sit in a sauna? Quote, unquote, not a real sauna, but you know what I'm saying. When life gets what? Hot and sweaty. It becomes very uncomfortable. Am I willing to hang out with God? Because I want to hang, just hang out with Him. Even when it's hot and sweaty. Even when it's very uncomfortable. I just want to hang out with God. Even if it means i got to get dirty in a warehouse-ish, if you get what I'm saying. I just want to hang out with God. I love going hunting. Marcia says, maybe if you'd stop reading the Bible, you might get something. Anna and I were out just last fall. <laughs> and I was on my phone, maybe longer than I thought I was. I look up, and what did I see? A deer. What kind of deer? Come on. Was it a small buck? 
a big buck. I mean, it was from me to Abby, maybe. I mean, we're talking about, it was like, right, how did this thing get there? Anyways, needless to say, I didn't get it, <laughs> okay? But you know what? I was so full that day. I didn't need a what? A deer. Because I had time with my daughter. I had time with God, my father. Do you get it? I love going out. Listening to praise music. I know, you shouldn't have music in the woods. And, and, and just worshiping and reading God's word and praying. God will supply everything I need. I can tell you all the, the fun trophy things. I, 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 the, the time I got two bucks, the time I got three dough. Don't tell the, the, the department that because anyways, I shouldn't have gotten three. Anyways, and, and I mean, I can tell you about all these things that God did for me because he wanted to bless my socks off. But I don't need a deer. I don't need to fill up my, my you get it? What I really need is what? Time with Abba. I yearn for that time with Abba. Secondly, in this relationship, he chooses to use the illustration of a bride. Of a bride. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto what? The Lord. For just as Christ is the head of the church, so the man is the head of the woman. And then it says that the, the, the men, he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, right? And he goes on and he describes this. But it's all based upon this illustration. All the way back at the beginning, when God created man, and then he, and he, and he took the woman, he was already making an illustration to, to, to illustrate Christ and the church and the love that was going to be there. This is a phenomenal thing. And so we're told, men, in 1 Peter 3, it's not up here, okay? But in 1 Peter 3, we're told, men, that if we don't treat our wives with honor, that it will hinder even our very prayers. Why? Because I'm Christ and she's the what? Church. Could you imagine Christ treating the church like you treat your wife? Think about that. Would you want Jesus to treat you like you treat your wife? It gets silent, doesn't it? Guys need to get that. Well, she doesn't. When's the last time you hear Jesus whining about the church? What did he do for the church? He died for the church. When did he die for the church? While I was yet a what? Sinner. While I was still at, I was an enemy. I was at enmity with him. Jesus said, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And he did it. What a privilege. I have this relationship. And you know, I'm an introvert. And so when I'm meeting with people all day, Tuesdays is my meeting day, right? And by the time I'm done with my meeting day, I'm ready for what? Go home and talk to my wife. No, I'm not. But when I get home, my wife's what? Ready to talk to me. Because she wants to talk to me. Say again? She's full of words. She's got to dump them out. <laughs> She's full of words. She wants to dump them out. But she, my wife, women are more relational than men. I don't think it's a, a uh, confusing point why God chose this illustration. The church is the bride. I'm the church. Guys, we need to find our feminine side. It's in there somewhere. Just as my kids want to talk to me, 
just as my wife wants to talk to me. In my relationship with him, I have this privilege, this wonderful privilege to be able to talk to the God of the entire universe who is beyond all things, who created all things, who breathed into my, breath, my, my nostrils the breath of life so that I might have a relationship with him. How cool is that? And yet, I can't find five minutes for God? I can't find ten minutes for God? I can't find a half an hour for God? I can't set aside an hour for God? The one who gave me all of time? Prayer is a natural result of my relationship with God. It's just a natural result. Just as a kid wants to spend time with his father, just as a bride wants to spend time with her husband. It is a natural result. If you have no desire to spend time with God, blank, dot, dot, dot. It's like playing balderdash, right? Fill in the blank. If you have no desire to spend time with God, dot, dot, dot. You know what the response is, don't you? We just don't want to hear that part of it, do we? So, what does your prayer life reveal about your relationship with God? Do you have one? You can say I went down the aisle. You can say I said this finished prayer. You can say I've been in church for 20 years. You can say whatever you want to say. But I want to say, so what's your relationship with him like? Do you even have a relationship? I'm not asking about did you, did you punch the tickets? Are you a, a good Pharisee? Do you have a relationship? How would you describe your prayer life? Or better yet, how would God describe it? Are you willing? Are you willing to commit yourself to spending more time with God? If you're not spending any time, will you, not me, I'm going to say, will you give me 15 minutes? But will you give God 15 minutes? And I promise you that if you start reading God's word and you, and, and you start thinking about how it applies to your life, you're going to want to spend time with the God who wrote all those things for you. I find myself, as I'm reading God's word, interacting with him all the time, asking, what, is, what do you mean by this, Father? What do you mean by this, Lord? Oh, God, I am so wicked. I'm, this is, I am that foolish man. I am that wicked man. God, how can you love me so? God, I want to be this righteous one. I want to be this prudent one. I want to be this one walking in wisdom. Help me. I keep getting in the way. But I promise you, if you get up in the morning, just five minutes before you got to get out the door, or 30 minutes before you got to get out the door because it takes you 25 minutes in the shower, you won't have time with God. You will make time for what is important to you. If it's important to you to have a developed relationship with God, what are you going to do? You make time. Every Monday night, you guys know this, every Monday night is what? For me. What is it? Date night. You guys know it. It's date night. Why? Because I love my wife so much that I just yearn to spend time with her all the time. No. I want to. Make sense? But I know if I don't make time to spend with her, that my relationship with her is going to become what? more and more distant all the time. And so we set apart Monday night, unless God, you know, God willing, okay, that 
Monday night is our date night. It always has been throughout all the kids' life. And I always tell the kids, this is the most important night for you guys. What? <laughs> You're leaving. You guys go out to a restaurant. It's important for you, for mommy and I, to love each other. This is the most critical relationship. If I understand that with my relationship with my wife, how much more my relationship with my God? To love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. I'm going to fall short. I'm going to stumble. There are times when, I promise you, I go in and I say, God, I'm only here today because I know I'm supposed to be here. I'm praying out of rote right now. I'm talking to you only because I know I'm supposed to. But how cool it is, God, I'm still talking to you because I understand that you exist. Help me. Revive me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation because I don't know how I lost it. And so like even this morning, I put on, I have Eric Nordhoff, Quiet, Quiet Time Worship. It's beautiful. It's, just, it's not words. It's just music. I can put it on and it's all songs that are, are playing, draw me nearer, nearer, nearer. And songs that just help me to be focused on who God is and what he has done for me. But you have to want it. Is there a need then to change the way you think and therefore ultimately change the way you act? Let's pray and then we'll sing Sweet Hour Prayer. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the Holy One. There is none other. Oh God, you have... You have created us. You have breathed into us the breath of life for this very purpose that we might have fellowship and relationship with you. It's mind-boggling to me. I, I just, I honestly cannot comprehend it. Such thoughts are too wonderful for me. And yet, it is amazing. It is exhilarating. It is, it is so exciting that I can talk to you, even right now, Lord, in front of all these people. Lord, but not because I'm in front of people, but if I'm out in the woods, the Lord, in front of all the deer, in front of the squirrels, God, that I can have this fellowship with you and I can, and I can see the beauty of what you have made. Lord, if God forbid that I'm in the midst of antagonistic people, that even at that moment I can cry out to you knowing that you're always there with me and that you're hearing me and that you love me. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who love you. And that is evidenced by the time we spend with you. Be magnified in Jesus' name. Amen.